You are listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Melbourne to Baltimore, from London to Piraeus. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never lose the latest updates and stories of the team you love. This is our team, our city, and our land. Man, Oniro Trello. You're listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Mihali, Mihali, I'm doing the intro, mate. I'm doing the intro. Just give me a couple seconds. Just, give me, just a bit, just a bit. Anyway, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. My name is Peter Thompson. I've got Adi Bulubasi celebrating his first Father's Day as a dad. Happy Father's Day, Adi, with his baby boy, Mihali, here, um, behaving nicely for the camera. Let's hope that keeps up. Um, Kosa Levoyanis is celebrating Father's Day with his family, and unfortunately, he can't make it. Lambro is in Greece. He is Stinelada, as they say, um, out on the islands with, with that Neri Castillo level Wi Fi. So he's not going to be able to make it to us today. Um, but he is somewhere off enjoying a cocktail, uh, in the beautiful motherland. So, anyway, um, we've got a lot of exciting stuff planned today. Uh, more Euros games have, of course, happened. Uh, we've got some transfer news, including a deep dive from Adi. We've got a deep dive. Uh, if I can get through it, I don't know if Michali's going to let me get through it. We'll, <laughs> well, we'll, do, we'll make that one of the first things. But, um, yeah, and then we do have a big announcement. So uh, as the people roll in, you know, we don't want to blow the announcement right away. But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll get the announcement going. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, so we are going to get right into it. I do have a couple housekeeping things um, before we do get in. Uh, first of all, as we already said, today's Father's Day as we are recording this live. Happy Father's Day, everyone, to all the dads out there, including our own Adi and Costa. Um, additionally, Olympiacos DC update. They have clinched the playoffs with a 1-0 win against Barcroft DC, moving into third place. So once again, we've talked about the torrid run of form, the, the hot streak that Olympiacos DC are on, um, and it seems to continue, Adi. Do we have anything to add? The streak continues. They're in the playoffs, so we're really excited for them. Playoff football for the boys. Uh, we're hoping for big things. If they do well, they can get a seat in the U.S. MLS Open Cup if they are successful. There's a long road ahead of them, though, and there's a lot of games. So we'll take it one step at a time, and we're just happy that they made it to the playoffs. Congratulations, boys. Let's keep this hot streak going. Additionally, um, we did mention that last weekend we were supposed to do that Greek soccer uh, roundtable, the Olympiakos World Forums. We've rescheduled that uh, for Sunday, June 27th, so that's a week from today. Adi has sent out uh, the the invites, so we're going to have that all ready to go. Um, and... Yeah, hopefully everything works okay with that. And then it'll be Adi. It'll be some of the, the old legends of the Olympiakos World Forums. And it'll just be a grand old time uh, talking Greek football. Adi, I think you've got another shout out for us. We've got a couple couple uh, 
ads to get through here. And uh, Adi's going to tell us a bit about AHEPA. Yeah, boys, I brought this up a few times before, uh, boys and girls, I guess. Uh, but AHEPA, join your local chapter in the defense of Hellenism. You want to support local causes. You want to support your fellow Greeks. You want to do things to help the motherland. Join AHEPA. There's, there's chapters across the world, not just in the United States. So I encourage you to go find your local chapter, hang out with some Greeks, and do some, uh, some great things for your fellow Greeks as well as the motherland. If you need help finding your local chapter, you're interested, just DM me on Twitter. You can find me at Aristides06, or you can DM the pod account. I'll, you'll probably catch me there too. Uh, any other questions, but please, guys, go out there, meet some Greeks, and help out the motherland. You heard the man. We've also we've also had midway through uh, a join from Stephen Kuduru, a uh, frequent guest back on the show. Stephen, we're very happy to have you. We'll, we'll be checking in with you for Transfer Talk and Euro Talk. We've got Alex Kutakos. In case you didn't believe that young people are involved with a HEPA when Adi was saying it last time, uh, Alex, the the wonderful young man and Asteras fan involved with AHEPA here in Canada. We love to see that. Shout out to all the Canadian listeners. Um, and then, of course, as our as we always do, uh, we need to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International has been helping Greeks ship to and from the motherland during COVID-19. Shipments to Greece are going out from Baltimore, Maryland, USA every month. Fill any large U-Haul box, 18 by 18 by 24. Send it to our friends in Baltimore, and it will be shipped to the Port of Piraeus for only $50. Better yet, fill any large wardrobe box and send it for $100. Give them a call at 410-675-4696 or send an email to sales at PiraeusINTL.com. So, transfer news is where we're going to start today, people. Uh, the big name that has been popping up all over the place uh, is a new midfielder, a new central midfielder. He goes by the name of Pierre Koundé. Um, I believe he's coming from Mainz in Germany. He's a Cameroonian international. Um, he's a player with, with a big uh, history. He's had some injuries in the past, but um, it's certainly an interesting player to look at potentially in that central midfield role. Um, what we know about him, I'll, I'll give the brief summary here uh, as far as what we know about him. He's five foot 11, uh, which is about 180 centimeters, and he's 79 kg, 174 pounds. So, you know, pretty good physically. Um, of course, I'm going to leave it to the expert. We've got Adi here, and I think Adi's going to give us a much, a much deeper, uh, I might say, look into uh, Pierre Koundé. Well, you had you gave us a good start, Peter. So you guys know he's not the biggest guy, but he's not the smallest guy either. Uh, very definitely an athletic build. Uh, he primarily plays as a six. Uh, he can play as the last def midfielder back. Sorry, not defender. But he also can be pushed forward. Now, when I say he can be pushed forward, he can occupy that space further forward for the press. Not as a number. Not as a number ten. So. Uh, before you guys get any ideas, that's not the type of player he is. Now, the cool thing about this is he's played in a back three. Mainz has played primarily with a back three. So he can do it. It should be an easy adjustment for him. He's very quick and agile. This guy can turn direction, especially with the ball at his feet, very quickly. Uh, has pace, 
and loves to look for these gaps in the middle. When he's got the ball at his feet, if there's an opening or there's space for him to run, he's going to take the space and he's going to he's going to try and uh, start those counters up. So he loves to do that. Offensively, uh, this isn't a midfielder that's going to give us a lot of goals. Uh, he'll take shots from outside. They're never going to hit the target, but he'll do it. Uh, I guess you got to have somebody that can. Um, he, if he's deployed in a more wide position, so in a four-three-three, if we're going to utilize kind of a midfield in like a positionally like right or left basis, he can he'll get forward with the ball and he'll give us some crosses. Uh, he can do it, but if he's playing as the DM, he's obviously not going to give us that. Uh, funny enough, he's actually top tier in the Bundesliga on a per ninety minute basis. That is for expected assists. So he also can whip in, you know, he can whip those crosses in with decent accuracy. Uh, he's decent if he gets into the final third with the ball. Uh, he loves to take players on one-on-one. Uh, before his injury, he had one of the highest one-on-one dribble successes in the Bundesliga, 78.6%, averaging almost three and a half one-on-one attempts a game. Uh, he gets, when he gets closed down, I mean, also he's very successful getting out of things. I brought up his agility, remarkable change of pace with the ball at his feet. And he loves to do kind of the same move, his signature move, I'll call it, which is kind of what Lazar does, but he actually does it pretty well versus Lazar almost never succeeds. So when Lazar gets the ball and dribbles forward, he likes to kick it and try to beat the defender with his speed. Well, what Pierre Koundé actually does is he waits for the commitment from the defender first. He waits for the defender to come in or to get sucked in a little bit. And then when that first off step is taken, he then uses his speed and agility to change direction and overtake them. I watched every dribble attempt, and every time he did it, he was successful. Uh, I mean, this guy has some fantastic ball movement. It is super difficult to dispossess him, especially in stride. He'll more than likely draw a foul if he loses the ball at all. So love to see that. Uh, one and a half, almost two progressive runs a game. Uh, again, he's the guy that when he's healthy and available, Mines loves to give him the ball to start the counters up because he's so fast. Uh, he's used to volume. He's averaging uh, 45 pass attempts over 50 touches a game, So, which is good. We do like to see that because we're, we're, we want our midfielders to be comfortable with heavy volume. Uh, now, the one thing that's concerning, and people have already DM'd me about this ever since the announcement, was, uh, guys, his pass his pass rating is kind of poor. And you're right, it's under 80%. All of our midfielders are in the 80s, especially our sixes. Our sixes are usually close to 90. Uh, you know, Yanim Vila, even Bukalakis is up there in the 80s. Um, the I will say this, uh, not to make excuses, but... Uh, because Mainz is usually under a lot of pressure, they're a more defensive team. They're not on the ball a lot. When he gets the ball in his first touch, he does try to relieve that pressure. And one touch from a goal kick or what have you, that's where a lot of it comes from. Uh, he could be a little clunky and one-two, like quick one-touch passing. But to be fair, it's not like they do much of that for the team he plays for anyway. Um, so... I'm, I think he's the type of player, his technical ability, I think that's something that gets fixed when he gets more time on the ball and he comes into the system. It is something, though, of, uh, of a little bit of concern. 
In terms of long balls, um, he will switch the ball. He loves to play people down the wings. That's really the only time he does use those long balls is when he sends, uh, you know, he sees somebody running across the field or he needs to switch. Uh, he will do that. Otherwise, he prefers to run ahead of him. He prefers to take the ball, get into the final third, and play some shorter passes, try to break the defense if he can in those scenarios. So offensively, uh, great technical ability. We do like what he has to offer. Defensively, uh, he is also, on a per-90-minute basis, one of the most effective players at closing people down. I mean, uses his speed, a little bit smarter than somebody like Rebchuk, for example, who gets a little reckless and relies, over-relies on that speed. No, he's got a good head about him. He's very, he's positionally aware and really good at closing people down or at least forcing them to turn around and make a back pass. Um, in the air, he doesn't get super involved. I rarely saw him having to jump uh, for anything, but, uh, unf- you know, when he does, when he does have to do it, he's very good at it. 70% success. So if he gets caught in that scenario so far from what we've seen, it's a small sample set. He can, he can do it. Um, solid number of interceptions. It's not top tier, you know, averaging five a game. I would like to see that higher considering how defensive of a team he's on and that he normally plays the DM position, but it's not the end of the world. Um, Lucy, he doesn't go to ground too often, which we like to see. Um, and he is pretty good at plugging holes. Uh, he's he's very good at closing down some of those through lanes to try and prevent the runners in. Uh, so defensively, from what we see, he's a good piece. Now, a couple other questions I got was, uh, on a whole, how in God's name are we getting this type of player? It seems too good for Greece. Well, guys, to be honest with you, he is. He is too good for Greece. But he had a really bad injury. Well, I, sorry, I don't want to say really bad injury. He, he had an injury, and they did arthroscopic surgery. So it's like one of those meniscus things where they, like, shave it down so that the injury, you know, can heal correctly. Uh, it's not serious, but the risk with this, especially at $2 million, is that if mentally he can't overcome or get back to normal, we lose the best part about him, which is the agility, the speed, some of the more defensive, those, those physical characteristics, especially on the ball. Defensively, I think there's enough between the ears. I think he's smart enough to where he can still be a competent player defensively. He doesn't have to rely on his speed. But that's the risk for me for this type of player is when he comes back, is he going to be able to replicate that offensive ability? Can he replicate that technical ability that he had in Germany before he got injured? That's going to be the big question. Uh, as far as personality, I didn't see anything I didn't like screaming at people. Th- this is actually correct. There is a uh, comment here from Zafirov05. Rusai had the same injury. Yes. And we all know that Rusai, when he came back, wasn't really the same Rusai before the injury. So this is kind of what concerns me a little bit. I think, well, you know, the the type of player that this is, I mean, this is what we're going to, this is what we have to deal with, right, guys? So we're not going to get the best players. This guy, when he was firing on all cylinders, would never touch him. We could never touch him. He would have been way too expensive. But this is the type of story where he could come to Greece, get back his footing, and really be something special for us. And that's going to be the question. Whether I think it will happen or not, I think the odds are in our favor at the very least, because even if we don't get his absurd dribbling ability back or his great ability to turn on a dime, that agility, 
maybe he lays off of that. You have a player that still has very good technical skill. And I'm not super concerned about that low pass accuracy. Again, because I think there's more context to that. We'll see how it actually pans out. But I think this is a guy that if we're bringing him in as a six, and that's what we're looking at, uh, he has some Guillerme-esque upside to him. But if we're bringing this guy in as the Mahdi replacement, which is what I've been reading on social media, some people think he is, this guy does not have the vision that Mahdi does. He's acceptable. He's He can perform well in the final third, but he doesn't have the deep-lying vision that Mahdi has, where Mahdi is sitting 40 meters out, 35 meters away from goal, and is seeing runners from the opposite end of the field while he's getting closed down by one or two guys and has the poise to make that ball and also connect. So we'll see what we get out of this guy. Over, overall, besides my concern about his physical attributes and whether or not we'll get that, I'm positive on this. I think, I think that there is some risk with that, but I think overall this is going to be a good pickup. But he is not our – I don't think he's the Mahdi replacement. Well, there you have it, folks. The deep dive on uh, on Kunde seems pretty positive. Um, as Adi said, I guess we'll just hope for the best. I would say as well, um, Vrusai, I think, will be fine with that injury as well. Um, so I'm not super worried about that. But, Stephen, I'm going to pivot to you now. Um, given what you just heard and what you already know about the player, what are your thoughts on on him coming in and where do you think he can fit into this team? Um, well, I mean, when I first heard we were – close to signing him. I was interested because I'm, I do remember when we were linked with him, I think it was like two, three years ago, we, we were close to signing him. And then mine's just put a better deal out for us and better for, compared to us. And he just went to Mainz instead. Um, yeah. I mean, the, my big concern was, is it the injury, the injury that he sustained, which as, as you, I didn't realize it was the same as for but we'll see. We'll see. And, and also Ari's more or less, he said anything, everything I was concerned about. Is he a is he a Madi Camara replacement? Is he is he what what is he as a player? And if if he's that kind of six to eight hybrid, that could work, you know. And and maybe he coming from a more defensive team like Mainz, who are aren't really going to be attacking it week in week out in the Bundesliga. Maybe he needs that adjustment period, like uh, Kenny Lala did when Kenny Lala first came. The the, the advantages that Kunde has. Uh, a preseason with us to kind of get into that system a bit more. So maybe he'll adjust quicker than Lala did. Um, and I, I'm, I'm excited, you know, I'm even, even, even when we get bringing a player that I'm kind of not sure about at first, it's still exciting because it's a signing. So yeah. until he's on the pitch, until we see him in a, in proper, proper games, not even the friendlies in these proper games. And he, if he plays in the qualifiers as well for the champions league, uh, that's where I want to assess him and see what he's all about. But, yeah, I, 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 I kind of wonder if he is the not like the Maddie replacement that, like statistically, I, I just feel one. like they're yeah. pretty. Yeah, I feel like this is the player that is going to replace Maddie just because it's another body, and Maddie yeah, will probably go. Yeah, and, well, and Maddie would probably go to Napoli or whoever he's been linked with most recently. I don't know. And I think we should say as well, like we think about last year. Um, Guillerme left and then we we had said like oh Jan and Vila like he's not the Guillerme replacement he's going to do something different Pepe is not the Guillerme replacement like we didn't have a player in our team who did the versatility of things that Guillerme did and it was still okay you know and I think maybe the change in formation was was a contributor to that as well 
Um, like obviously Mati's a ridiculous talent. We're not going to get a player as talented as Mati Kamara. Let's just say that like the guy's going to go for 20 million. No, unless we get lucky and scout a player like that. Oh, maybe we'd have to get again. mad lucky. Um, yeah. but like, you know, we're not going to get a player of that level, but you know, if, if we can find a player who sort of like works with Jan and Vila in that two man midfield, um, you know, or can rotate in with Buharakis, like maybe Kasami is in as well. We'll have to see. Yeah, um, I was going to ask about that. Is is he still like? Is he still coming? Because there was news of him like being close, and then it's kind of gone cold over the last week. So I'm wondering if if Kasami seems to be on hold. Now. Sure. Yeah, I think it's one of from from what we've been told, it's the player really wants to come, but the clubs are not in agreement on the the financials, which seems to be the case quite a bit, to be fair. But um, we do have a question from from a listener. Uh, it was actually a few minutes ago, but I didn't want to interrupt the. I didn't want to interrupt. Adi was just in his bag with that deep dive. I didn't want to get in the way. Um, it's from Ageno here. Uh, what's your opinion on Algasimba? Should he take his chances this season, or is it too soon? So. Uh, for those who aren't aware, we signed a 17-year-old attacker. Um, I believe he can play out on the wings as well as a 10. Uh, he's Guinean. He's he's boys with Mari Kamara. If you go to Mari's Instagram, they're hanging out together. They're training together. Um, his name is Ba, but with an H at the end. Uh, so that's how we separate him from Ushenu Ba. Um, seems a big talent. Uh, I've not really seen him play because he's 17 years old and didn't play for us last year, but um looks looks pretty physically big you know he's not uh he's not skinny he's not small um i think he's going to be mostly in the uh the second team angelo um and i am we taught they this was discussed on another podcast but i'm like so excited for the second team as well uh to see players like him um i think it's going to be a really nice opportunity to to see these guys you know markovic all these kids without having to worry about like loaning them out or not. I think it's going to be really good for a lot of these players. Um, maybe he will get his chance in the first team, but he's probably going to have to prove it in the second team first. Uh, and you never know, we might be needing a winger and maybe he'll come in. Maybe he'll get to play against La Mia or something, but I'm excited to see him. Uh, of course, one for the future. He's a long-term player, but uh, yeah, hoping to see him with the second team. That's kind of my thought as well, to be honest, Peter. I think with with Bar, he's such a young player. He's still obviously going to be quite a raw talent, and the B team is a perfect place for him to develop. and And almost like last season when Andrutsos was kind of coming into the team, and eventually you saw by November December, that's when Andrutsos was kind of getting more consistent game time at, at right back. Maybe if if Bar, this new Bar, uh, comes in and he proves himself in that first half of even first third of the season. And then slowly transitions into the first team by new year, he's in there. You know, if, if he's performing consistently and to a good level, maybe that's where we see him. Martins isn't one to change up the squad too often. He's not one to take that, that those kind of risks, but we, we, you know, anything's possible. Yeah. And I actually, I know um, this is something we discussed already and it's old news, uh, but I missed the podcast. I think I was bird watching when it was discussed the last time a couple of weeks ago, but like, this whole bit with Zagoraki's implementing this new, like, massive second division um, uh, with, you know, like, 30, what, 32 teams? Is that right? Something crazy. Um, and then yeah, the, it's regional. The big four have uh, have B teams. Agado says he's turning 19 in November. Okay, I thought he was a, was a bit younger than he was, to be fair. I must have been off a year. But anyway, thank you. Um, maybe, yeah, whatever. Um, but, I mean... I think I forget what the general consensus was on this. I am 
quite positive on it, I would say. I think the 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 fact that there are 32 teams is maybe a bit weird. Like I, I think you have too many teams in a league when you know the top teams are significantly better than the bottom teams. I think you run into some issues and I find it hard to believe that there are 32 teams uh in the second division of Greece that are like that close to each other. So I think that's going to be something interesting to follow. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, I think I think I, I kind of understand why Zagorakis did this. I think obviously with B teams coming in to the second division, you don't want those positions to be lost for actual senior teams playing in the second tier who may be too good for the for the third division. No, but weren't, so weren't there I, like I, what, I 22 that. teams or 20 teams in the – so it would just I have to be like 24 or 26? Attempt, I, I actually can't remember. I can't yeah. remember, but I'm pretty I, but, sure it's 22 teams that were in the Super League two last year. Let me look it up right I now. I think maybe it's just to, I think maybe it's just to spread it out a bit so that there are more kind of senior teams in there so they don't lose out. And then my my big thing oh, is wait, though, I'm like stupid. last year there were 12 teams in the Super League two, so oh. they're adding basically the entire third <laughs> division. Hardly any. So like I just find that a bit and I find that a bit um, weird, but. I don't know. The only reason I'd be concerned is like, what's the point of bringing these teams up if they're just going to get like carded by Olarisa every day? Uh, that's the one thing that I would say. But um, anyway, I'm really excited for the B team. Like, we get so much chatter about these young kids. It's like Apostolopoulos, the next Chimikas, Martinis, the next Chimikas, and then he gets literally released. Like, I, I find it so unreliable. Like uh, Sulis, the next attacking midfielder, and then he comes in and he's like a number eight or a number six. Like, I, I find I just like I don't believe anything we hear from the papers or from Greece about these young players, and now we get to actually see them in the game. I think it's really, really nice. Like, um, that's a big thing for me. And then also like these fringe guys that we always have when it's like Martins wants them in the team, and then they do nothing. Um, we actually don't have to make a tough decision about these players; they can prove it in the B division. I <laughs> I have a feeling Olympiakos B are going to win the second uh, the second tier, but I have no idea. The the thing the second division in general having the B teams there is an amazing idea, and the fact that Zagorakis actually did it is super commendable. The format is like kind of weird, but and like the way they're doing like the regional the regional thing is. Also weird because they're trying to group like the northern teams and the southern teams, and I just it, I feel like it's going to be like that issue we have in the states with like the foot with football, right? You know, you end up sometimes getting these years where one conference, when you do these like conference style divisions, one conference is always way better than the other, or like the and, AL East in baseball and the Orioles, right? It, anyway. Exactly for those that follow need baseball. Not talk about so, that. Yeah, so. I mean, that's like the weird part, but at the same time, they were about to suffer in that division a huge TV rights decrease, right? So I think part of the reason that they had they added so many more teams and now like this playoff aspect between the two conferences, uh, that's going to bring in some more money. Over, I don't know if that means more money for the teams overall. I doubt it, but more money overall. Um, so I think that's part of the ideology. And, you know, it'll be it'll be great to finally be able to have a stepping stone in between the academy and then, from you know, to the the professional. Uh, and but I guess before we completely move on from the the Camara and Kunde thing, this is a really good uh, comment here by Antvast98. 
Uh, I, in my opinion, Camara will get replaced with two players, a physically strong player like Kunde and maybe someone like Grenier. Uh, so that's, I think this is what it has to be. Like mm-hmm. if we're, if the club is smart, they have to realize because, okay, I might spend four or five hours looking at tape at somebody, but Martins and his team take so much time to evaluate these players. You know, I the it had been discussed in the past on the radio that he spends hours upon hours for one player, and he doesn't like them to make a decision until he's had enough time to watch tape to make one. So, again, I might I spend five hours. Martins is probably spending days reviewing players. They have to realize that he is not the the Adigmari. You know what I mean? He's not the perfect replacement. If we're going to replace that skill set, uh, it's going to have to be brought in two guys. Kunde is one, and then we get somebody else that maybe has more of that deeper playmaking vision or somebody that can be an eight. Uh, because I did forget to mention, Kunde can play box-to-box at least. So we do have something very versatile with him that we don't have with any of our other sixes. Bukalakis isn't really box-to-box, uh, you know, as much as we would like him to be. We know the role he fits in. And Jan and Vila certainly isn't box to box. Going from sitting with hanging out and playing with the center backs to actually being a proper uh, midfielder, even uh, you could call him Madi an eight. I mean, he's more of six, but uh, definitely has qualities of an eight. So at the very least, we're bringing in another six, but that has a different skill set, closer to a Guillerme esque skill set that fills that other void in creativity that we need. Now we just need somebody else that can that that we can rely on as depth. Uh, I don't know if Pepe is going to come back. How how that works out, uh, we'll have to see what happens. But I'm sure we're going to wait till like the 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 tryouts are over and the summer training before we assess what else we need. Tiago Silva's still in the team, baby. Yeah. Oh <laughs> I th- well, I think I think from what you guys and other people have been saying, Pepe will get given his opportunity in preseason. So. If he proves himself to be that player that we need as one of the players to replace Maddie, then sure, it saves us using money to sign another player, or we just bring in a talented, like a talented playmaker. It's his loss for me. If if Pepe doesn't turn out, I don't think it's going to be that horrible. Um, I think uh, if he does turn out, he helps, and it's if if he doesn't want to be up for it, then uh, then he can go. It is what it is, right? But anyway, um, another comment from Antvast98. Olympiacos B would be a playoff team in the first division easily. Um, I actually, we might forget, some people will say last year Olympiacos B were a playoff team in the first division easily. Um, Some people would say that at least. But anyway, um, I actually, I don't know how good they would be. It's it's honestly, I, I need to see them in action. I don't know if they would be able to be a playoff team in the first division. But honestly... Wouldn't surprise me given how uh, how some of the, the playoff teams played last year. Anyway, um, one other thing that we wanted to discuss was the goalkeeper situation continues to evolve. Uh, every day it looks more and more confirmed that Jose Sa is on his way out to Wolves. Um, wish him the best of luck. Obviously, we kind of knew this was happening, but now we're faced with a tough, tough reality of, uh, of replacing him. Um, we talked about Thomas Vachlik, and I forget if we had watched the Czech game, Adi and I, uh, I forget if we that game had occurred before he played, 
Um, but he looked really good uh, in that game against Scotland. Uh, some big saves, really, really solid goalkeeping from him. So he might be too good for us, but uh, if he does come in, you know, that would be great. We'll talk a bit more about the Euros in a bit later, but he's certainly a name that's around. But Stephen, what else have you heard with uh, with the whole goalkeeper situation? Um, oh, I mean, it's just, if anything, it's just that a lot of people in the Wolves kind of part of the world, you know, like the Wolves fans are not too sure about Jose after Patricio is obviously on his way to Roma. Um, they're not too certain about it. Um, and that clearly shows to me that they haven't actually seen Jose Sarr in action. Um, they would have if he was fit when we played them in the Europa League last uh, two seasons ago. Um, and obviously there's still the Fabiano links from Omonia. Doesn't look like that's going to happen now because Omonia, um, I think they, haven't they offered him a, a, a big bumper contract or something? And yeah, and 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 this this Czech Republic goalkeeper, he's looked really solid. Czech the Czech Republic, as we will get on to later, have looked like a really fantastic team anyway in, in these Euros. And if if he's only, he's thirty two, so it's not young, but goalkeepers he's can last a bit years, longer. Now, he's players. got some yeah. years. Yeah, we were looking at Buffon, who's ten years older than him, folks. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> Uh, Buffon's gone to Serie B with Palmer, which is probably best for him. I'm, I'm I think that's he's, the right. He's move. gone back home. It's a good way to yeah. retire. I, I'd be happy for him. Um, yeah. So some people are calling for Zolakis to to step up. I think it might be a bit soon for him. I think if yeah, if I'm completely honest, like, as great as that would be, like for him to just be like the Greek Donnarumma and just come out and just be amazing for us. I think I, I've said I said it to Martial in the um in the chat. I think the reason why it worked out for Donnarumma, not just because he's extremely talented, but it was in a time when Milan were rock bottom and they needed kind of a player to come in. And I think it was Diego Lopez he replaced, if I'm not mistaken, who was really poor for them. Or right. in this is and, the year for Olympiacos, no, no playing around, as they say. Yeah, and and Olympiacos don't have that time to allow not a player to develop, but they don't have the time. They don't have the time to kind of be like let this guy make mistakes now because we, we make these mistakes now. We're not getting through to a more advanced stage in Europe and we're not going to win the title. So, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with the keepers. Uh, we'll be the first ones to know if anything pops up. Fabiano wouldn't be bad, but yeah, I, I do think that seems a bit more unlikely. Vachlik wouldn't be bad. Just just don't give us a coat, please. I, I, the two Those two names I would take. I would, I would take them happily, but... I, I feel like another name may surface and then we'll get a coat. Um, but anyway, that's about, I think, all the transfer news we have. We can get in a bit to the Euros. Uh, I suppose what we can start with is Group A, which is finished up. Those games happen today. Um, I want to take a victory lap because I was the only one who picked Wales to finish second in this group. And I believe I had some some backlash from Lambro and Costa as well. Peter, we and actually had one one piece of transfer news that we forgot. God um, damn it, Adi! I'm I'm taking my victory lap, and you're gonna come in with I'm the transfer. S- I'm news? sorry. I just I, I was looking for it because I thought we forgot something, and it it was related to Holebas. Oh um, yes, the Holebas because there's been questions about whether or not he will renew. Um, so again guys uh the club the club did make uh a renewed offer i don't know what the amount was or how much of an increase remember he was kind of making minimum as it was um so 
supposedly after maybe tomorrow, maybe we'll find out what that is. So we'll, we'll be updating about that. But then there was also a comment we had received about uh, what had been said about training for not just Holevas, obviously, but for Lala and Rebchuk, um, that Martins is going to be basically seeing what they have in these friendlies after a full like training window, a full month of training, so that we can decide whether they're, we're keeping them or not. Um, guys, I think Rebchuk is staying. It's Lala that's probably more of the question. And I'm still not really worried about either one. Uh, we get a lot of these questions. So I just wanted to make sure that we had that out there because this was something that uh, people had asked us to comment on. Yeah, the Holevas case is an interesting one. I think he came here thinking it would be his his last year and he would retire. And then it turns out like we could kind of actually use him a little bit, um, but we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, thank you, Adi, for bringing that up. And then we do have another uh, transfer-related comment from Antivas98, uh, Thomas Strakosha the Albanian, I believe, keeper from Lazio uh, would would be amazing, is, is what uh, Anfast98 says. He is born in Greece. His father is goalkeeper trainer. I actually had seen that, yeah, um, in our U19 team. Um, so that would be an interesting one as well. I, I've uh, I've not kept up enough with his form, um, but I know, you know he's been in their team for a while, um, obviously experienced international, and uh, yeah, as you pointed out, has has the connection to Greece as well. So that could be another name that we see popping up. Um, yeah, well, anyway, back to the Euros. As I was saying, uh, Italy, absolutely uh, bossing Group A, no real competition, um, two 3-0 victories, and then a one, uh, one or I'm sorry, um, no, yeah, two 3-0 victories, and then a 1-0 against Wales, uh, despite all Wales could do with a, with a man down. Italy do get the goal. Wales, really nice performance against Turkey. Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey looking like their prime selves from a few years ago showing out. And, uh, well, Turkey, as, as, as much as it pains me to see a, a football team play that badly, um, a team that was really hyped up coming into uh, this tournament as a dark horse, they, they just looked like a regular horse. They, they looked, you know, pretty bad. Um, didn't get a single point, only scored one goal. And it was today against Switzerland in a game that they were already down two nothing, I believe, when they scored. Switzerland are in third on four points, so they're going to have to wait and sweat it out and see what happens with the rest. But I don't know. Uh, the main thing I took from this group is that Italy are looking really to contend for this championship. I think right now, um, you know, I still think France are probably my favorites, but I think Italy would be my second choice. They haven't conceded a goal in in a very long time. I think they something like a thousand minutes of football without conceding a goal. Uh, of course, didn't concede one in this group stage. Really, really good team. Great players throughout. Good combination of youth and experience. Steven, how far do you think this Italy team can go in the, in the tournament now that they're in the knockout rounds? I've got to say, man, I've fallen in love with this Italian team. They're so, they're so, so nice to watch. They, they are the not only the best looking side for their kit, they have an amazing home kit, but also just the style of football they play, which is very... Very reflective of um, how like the smaller teams in Italy, like um, Atalanta, are playing like Sassuolo because they're playing much more kind of anti sort of Italian football, more attacking, more progressive, much more exciting football. This is what the Italian team are playing right now, and I I I, I hope they go and win it. If I'm honest, I I've, I've, I um, I personally put France as my favourites before the tournament started to win this, but but the team I really want to win is the Italians. 
also because it's close enough to Greece, so <laughs> it's close enough. And it, it's and I think it's a, a lot of people were not picking them as well. Um, you know, I was I, I wouldn't have been surprised. I think I, I was. Uh, Adi was picking them. I was pretty high on them as well, but I think a lot of people maybe influenced by their they're missing the 2018 World Cup. But Mancini has got the boys playing great football, as you said, Stephen. Really nice aesthetic football. The midfield is packed with talent. They've got Chiro Immobile up top. Um, who, if we're going to talk about Italy, I think maybe Immobile is a dark horse, as they say, to win that golden boot if Italy makes a run as well. He's a guy that probably a lot of people wouldn't be talking about to win that, but I think they're going to make a good run and he's going to score the goals. Um, they've got they've got a couple mm -hmm. uh, talented players in the midfield on the wings. You know, they've got depth. They've got Donnarumma in the goal. It's a big team. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch them continue to play. And congratulations to Wales as well for finishing second, a team that plays with a lot of heart. Really well done from them. Definitely um, playing above their talent class, even to hold this Italian team to only one goal is impressive. And uh, as we said, Switzerland get third. Moving over to Group B, um, obviously all the other groups only have two games uh, under their belt, so they've got one last fixture. But Belgium have been pretty much untouchable in this group. In their last fixture, we saw Denmark come back um, for their first game since the, the Ericsson incident. And they did score uh, a, a goal in what was an amazing moment to be credit uh, to them, one of the fastest goals in Euro history um, with Poulsen uh, in like the second minute of the game. But then uh, unfortunately for them, Belgium uh, come back and score a couple goals. Kevin De Bruyne comes on and does what he does, completely changes the game. Uh, if he can get into full fitness, I think this Belgian team are a force to be reckoned with. And uh, Eden Hazard as well. Uh, we have to say, I thought he looked all right. Another one where it's a, a big wild card. I think he he might end up being an X factor if he can get back to that form. He's with his country. That always does special things to a player. Maybe we could see that being a big factor, assuming they do make it through to the knockout stages, which I'm pretty sure they have wrapped up. Um, but yeah. And then after that, we've got Russia and Finland on three points each. Two teams that I've not really been impressed with uh, at all, really. So we'll see what happens in the last fixture. We do have uh, Belgium versus Finland and then Russia versus Denmark as the two final games. Stephen, how do you see this group shaping up uh, as we approach the last fixture? I, I think Belgium probably wins, but what after that? I'm with you, to be honest, Peter. Even I think a lot of people are kind of lazily comparing this Belgium team to the kind of golden generation that England had in the 2000s. And I think it's not a fair comparison because this Belgium team actually, it, for me, does play to their strengths and doesn't just put all their best players on the pitch at once, as proven with the fact that Ed Nazard's not on the pitch, De Bruyne's not been on the pitch. And the moment they came on, man, they changed that game against Denmark. And Denmark have been very, very unlucky in this tournament, not just because of the horrible event that occurred with Christian Eriksen, but just in general, um, when, when they've been playing. And I, I you know what? The, Russia looked dreadful, man. I don't know how. They're in second place, but I, I really want Finland to go ahead of them. Like, I, I, think, I, think, I think when it comes down to it, I think, isn't it? Um, yeah, Denmark and Russia play each other. I could see, I think Denmark will win that, that game. Yeah. And top, yeah, and, um, and I think... Uh, yeah, I think he'll go down to the wire, and I, but I think Russia will finish fourth potentially. Finland will finish third, but lose to Belgium and not quite have it to get third place. And I think Denmark, if they can score enough goals and 
I think they got. I don't know what their goal difference is right now. It's yeah. Well, I was just about yeah. to say. So if we go to the go to the old calculator here. So right now, Russia and Denmark are both minus two. Um, although Russia have three points, Denmark have zero, and then Finland are actually even on goal differential. Um, but they've got Belgium coming up. So if Denmark beat Russia, obviously Denmark's goal diff will be better, and they'll go ahead with three points. Um, and then it will just be up to how much does Finland lose by assuming they lose. If Finland get a result, they're going to, they would then, you know, be ahead of Russia and Denmark, assuming Denmark win. But the way I kind of see it shaken out is, is Denmark beat Russia maybe by a goal, um, which puts them at negative one, Russia go down to negative four, whatever, negative three, and then are out of it. Um, and then I see Finland maybe losing by, uh, I don't know, uh, enough goals to get them behind Denmark, I would say. Um, but that's going to be an interesting one. It, the way that I've predicted it just now, which of course is not necessarily going to happen, it would finish nine three three three. So you know, not a big gap between second and fourth. But yeah, I don't know how Russia have got themselves at second in the group right now. Uh, that that is a bit surprising to me. Um, anyway, yeah. So there's Group B. It could be interesting to see Belgium as uh, De Bruyne gets back to full fitness, what they can accomplish. Group C uh, is is another sort of one where Netherlands have really pulled out to the front. They had that competitive game with Ukraine at the beginning. Um, and then they went ahead and uh, beat Austria to nothing a bit less competitive there. Um, North Macedonia, I would say as well, they've got zero points, but they've been interesting to watch. They've had a couple really fun moments with some goals. Um, Pandev in the first game. And then uh, was it Pandev again in the second game? No, no, it was not. It was Alioski on the, the rebound from the penalty. Um, but you know, they've been an interesting team as well. Uh, although they've got zero points and probably won't progress. So it looks like it's going to be Netherlands to win that group. They have North Macedonia coming up and then Ukraine and Austria basically battling out and out for second place. Adi, what do you think is going to happen in that big game? I think Mihaly is, uh, has maybe something to say, but anyway, um, we're, we don't want Mihaly's takes on here because you know, he's not speaking our language, we can say. He seems a bit upset that I would even ask him about this game. Maybe it's just too obvious. Oh, yeah, he wasn't happy. He's like, how, how dare you, Peter? He's like, look at the look at the, look at the Y scout. See, look, he's got, he's got opinions here. He's got the Y scout. He's got the Y scout data in front of him. He's not having any of this. What he said just translates to uh, to something about how the XG and and the defensive duels. So clearly we don't need to discuss that. Um, the, the interesting group that I wanted to talk about, and we sort of teased it earlier is group D, uh, which is currently being topped by the Czech Republic with Vachlik, as well as the man who scored all three goals for, for this Czech team, Patrick Schick, um, in, highlighted by in the first game against Scotland, an absolutely insane chip of the keeper. What a beautiful finish. I'm sure you've all seen this goal. Um, and then scores again against Croatia, the, the Croatia team that we talked about against England, looking very pedestrian and boring. Um, and then on the other side, England, Stephen, we, we've got to talk about this um, because my England hate has my hate for the three lions has been publicized and, and you've not been allowed your chance to speak about it on the podcast here. But before you do that, like, Imagine getting imagine getting outclassed by Billy Gilmore, like an 18-year-old kid, and not even being able to score a goal. Imagine leaving your best playmaker on the bench because he doesn't play in the Prem. Imagine not calling up your best defender only because he doesn't play in the Prem. 
it's a shambles. Gareth Southgate, he's got to go. This guy's a clown. This guy, like, he's probably got like 10 or 12 burner accounts on football Twitter. And he's like that guy who just goes like, oh, Germany is Farmers League. Italy, Farmers. Oh, Prem is better. Like, that's what I'm just imagining Gareth Southgate doing his free time. Um, what, do, what do we say? England have scored one goal. <laughs> Despite all the options and talent they have up front, they've scored one goal. They beat a Croatia team that looked spineless and boring. They drew with a Scotland team that isn't really all that talented. They've got the easiest group in the division. Um, they've got the Czech Republic coming up. Now, both of these teams are on four points right now. Um, the Czechs, of course, whoever wins this wins the group. If it's a draw, the Czech Republic wins the group on goal difference uh, because they've actually scored more than one goal in the tournament. Uh, and interestingly, if England lose, uh, they could theoretically drop down to third, which so somebody predicted on the podcast as well. England finishing third. Um, Stephen, what do you make of all this as as a proud a proud Englishman watching the three Lions? What's the atmosphere like? What are people saying about Sancho not playing? About England not being able to score? What what's the the general mood in in the home turf? I just want to say, Pete, I love the builder man. Like, but I'm sorry <laughs> to disappoint you because I don't support England. <laughs> I've never oh, supported well, England. I'm not English. Much. I'm not English. I'm well, British. I mean, look, look, English. Stephen, we have to say Greece and Cyprus are not competing in this. They're not here. Yeah, they're, like, well, Cyprus I never figured. has, and Greece might never again. Um, <laughs> but um, but um, look, um, I've, been, I've been following England closely because what I do appreciate is when England do well, it's nice to see the whole nation get behind the team. And it's it, when, when they did well in the 2018 World Cup, I liked that because it gave everyone such a boost and it was really fun. But I also love it when England are crap. I love, I love watching England do bad. It's great, and I'm watching the game tomorrow. Clowns, with my friends, I'm they're looking just such clowns. I know. Like, it's coming know. They're so. Uh, it's not even not even the fans though. It's just the media as well. Some no, it is honestly. It's the journalists and pundits so that piss me up their asses about yeah. yeah, especially with uh, stuff they said about the national team, the Greek national team during Euro 2004. But that's a different subject altogether. Um, but I mean, and again, Peter, the last team to beat England was the Czech Republic. So, and that wasn't too long ago. And this Czech Republic team, while they don't have a lot of like fantastic players, like, uh, you know, they have um, Thomas Suchek, obviously. Um, they have Kufal as well. Um, and Schick, obviously, we have to say, of course. And, and Schick as well, who's been fantastic this tournament so far. They have a good team and they play really decent football and they're really like physically capable. And after what I saw against Scotland, where Scotland arguably deserved more in that game than England did, despite having a far inferior team, this uh, this could be a tough one for England. Although a lot of my friends have been saying to me they don't want England to finish top because finishing top is a harder route for England once yep, they reach the that's round a really good point. Yeah. So finishing and and I'm going to be real with you. England probably will qualify even if they finish third because four points is almost a guaranteed qualification unless, for some reason, everyone got four points Don't in third place that. and it Everyone's went to gold. Everyone's going to get four points, baby. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna kick England out. No, but Stephen, I want to elaborate more on what you said. So to clear that up, what Stephen said is finishing second is actually potentially more beneficial for England, and the reason for that, and tell me if I'm wrong, is the the team who finishes first in Group D, I think, finishes the second team in Group F. Right. And if I'm correct, the second team in Group F is is the second team in the group of death. It's likely either France, Germany or Portugal. You don't want that. 
Um, those are no, three of the no top teams in, in Europe, stop. right? So there's nothing wrong with finishing second. And I think in that, uh, do you get the second team in Group E? Um, so it's it's maybe something a little bit better. Um, but anyway, yeah, England, I don't know what's going to happen. I also have something else I sort of uh, want to bring up. Like, this is maybe just a general question. I don't mean to sound stereotypical when I'm doing this, but I feel like these, like, big countries always play below their talent level and small countries always play above it. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, you could almost... It does. You could almost say Greece 2004 is a case of this, although I don't want to take away from the individual talent of the Greek players. Like, obviously, the 2004 team had players way better than on Greece right now um, and way better than a lot of teams in Europe right now. But... Um, like, I feel like these English teams, it's all like the big stars and it's like, they don't really like care as much about playing for their country. Whereas teams like even the Czech Republic, which is not necessarily a small country, but like a lot of these teams that have a much smaller reputation on the European stage, like, it seems like they just play together better as a unit. It's like, they have real tactics like Ukraine. You could maybe say the same with as well. Like they play much more solidly together, um, even like North Macedonia, like they didn't get any results, but like, um, you know, look at the value of their squad on transfer market, for example, you know, like they're, they've just not got the talent. So I wonder what you guys think of this in general. Well, you said it, Peter, there's, there's pressure for these big teams to win this tournament. And that's where England's kind of faltered recently because there is a, after the 2018 world cup, there was an expectation. Okay. They've reached the semifinals of a major tournament for the first time in, I think it was just over 30 years. And now it's like, okay, these next kind of two tournaments, England might, with this talented squad, be able to win something. But unfortunately, as we've seen, individual talent doesn't equal good team, doesn't equal chances creation, good defending, good um, attacking play overall, or good just good play in general for, around the pitch, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and that was England's downfall against Scotland. They, it, their individuals didn't turn up and... The, unfortunately, Gareth, well, Gareth Southgate looked clueless, and that was shown in his substitutions. Yep, and he uh, to go. Yeah, and anyway. it's not like he owned up to his mistakes either. Like Fernando Santos, the legend, when they lost to Germany, he's like, "No, this man. wasn't on the players. That was on me." That's what a real coach does. That's what you always should say, even if it is that's on what, the players. That's what you should say. Yeah, Fernando Santos. I mean, if he was still mad, you know what? Now, man. Like, as much as much as like I laughed because like just seeing his tactics was giving me some like nightmares of some horrible games I witnessed under his leadership. But at least he qualified for everything, and you know what? And he does the things that a manager should. He's just a manager that's living in the 1980s still. But uh, that's never something you'll see a guy like JVS do, or even gareth southgate also it's hilarious because i went back into like some of the betting lines from previous tournaments and the funny thing is england is always regardless of the talent level or the talent pool they're always considered a favorite to win these tournaments like wait, in, wait. In betting lines and <laughs> it makes me laugh because like what other what other country that hasn't done anything in like 60 years or ever <laughs> ever gets that consideration Adi. Adi, the betting lines for young player of the tournament have Phil Foden and Mason Mount ahead of Mbappe. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Can that, we just uh, appreciate dude, that? That's the... Mbappe that's was always... like player of the tournament full stop in the World yeah. Cup two years ago. And it, yeah, no, 
I can't, I, the, the bias with it is incredible. And that's why like, for me, like it's good for the sport when England fails. It is because look at the, there England national team fans are like Tottenham fans. They, you know, and in many cases, Bach fans, they win nothing, but then they have this like elevated sense of themselves. No, sorry. It's amazing. not coming home. I'm that's not its home. I'm gaining so much strength. Costa's not here to stop us. Steven's letting us go off. Robert Blackburn's not <laughs> I don't here. I don't care. I'm, I'm say, where's Robert Blackburn? Is, this is giving me immense strength. I can't describe like how good I'm, it feels to hear these words because it's just so I'm, goddamn true. Like every time these clown commentators are like, Olympiacos, let's see if they can get a result. I doubt it though. It's like, fuck off. Your national team's never winning a major tournament ever again. Gareth Southgate is a clown and people let it happen because their Brexit FC minds want everyone to play from the Premier League. Ridiculous. And, and yeah, I can understand the frustration with England fans because this is such a talented team. You know, I know maybe there's a couple of centre-back issues, but other than that, like you look at that team on paper and it is one of the strongest teams in the tournament. And yet, and yet at the same time with the performances that they've shown over these last two games, for me, they're not even in the top five favourites for this tournament. Like there's there's teams that have performed above and beyond compared to them already, and that's why I think England will fall. Sayagapofile, and um, yes. and I, I will hap- I'm going to happily go to see my mates tomorrow and wear my Cyprus kit, even though Cyprus have never qualified <laughs> for anything ever. That's what I do. I whenever I go to whenever I like go to sports watching events or sporting events, I just wear my team's kit, even if they're not playing. Um, yeah, Ole fan nineteen twenty five. At least the Spanish announcers say the team name and the last names correctly for Ole. Exactly. And you know what? I want to thank you as well, Ole fan nineteen twenty five, because that is a great segue into our next topic. We're gonna stop bashing England. So, folks from England who were annoyed at that, you get a you get a break. I want to talk about Group E, Stephen, because I think this is probably the most interesting group, probably the one that we've that I've been the most surprised by. Um, and I want to apologize. I want to apologize to Slovakia, all the Slovakians everywhere listening. I want to apologize to them because when we did our preview, we didn't really give them that much uh, that much respect. We didn't really say much about them at all. We just kind of dragged them to fourth, and it was it. But folks, Slovakia have gotten a really nice result against Poland. They played really well, well-deserved 2-1 victory. Um, they did drop. They did lose to Sweden in a 1-0 game, but um, they're second in this group right now. Sweden are first and Spain in third are asking <clears throat> are asking a lot of questions with two draws and one goal in two games. Um, a lot of people are uh, are you know questioning Luis Henrique or questioning this team. Spain, obviously a big name, a team that I wasn't really that high on, but I think I still picked them to win the group. And here they are in third. Um, we've also got Fetanos. Fetanos says, "Where's the apology for Finland?" Fetanos, to be fair, Costa did pick Finland to finish second. People forget that. Now I will apologize for Finland being third, but let's also let's also. Michali has his apology for you right here. Oh, now you're quiet. Okay. He doesn't want to apologize. <laughs> He's not apologizing. <laughs> he owned by, by a zero-year-old baby. He's Absolute like scenes. Fetanos, I, I will say, um, yeah, I did. I did underestimate Finland. To be fair, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, we'll see how they do. Uh, next in next game against Belgium. Um, but anyway, group E, what do we think about this? Like is Spain, is Spain really about to, to burn out? They've got the Slovakians. Imagine the scenes if Spain lose to Slovakia and go on two points, which is probably not good enough to have them go through. 
Um, what would the scenes be like in Spain if that happened? I think there'll be rioting, to be honest. And and as it stands, Spain can't qualify with the points that they have. Um, and it would be a shock because while this team wasn't exactly a, a given, like definite for Spain to qualify, it was, you know, you'd still have the expectation for this Spanish side to at least finish top two. And even in top two, I feel like they finished second. It didn't seem that way. Yeah, and, and this Slovakia side, I think, has surprised a few people. And they surprised me because I, I've seen Slovakia play against Greece. I think it was a few years ago when Greece qualified for the 2014 World Cup. I could be wrong. It might have been after that when Greece were crap. Um, but I, I remember Slovakia were always great offensively, but then defensively, was it was just their biggest weakness. And and I feel like that's not the case now. And they're, they're kind of one of those really, really solid... Um, European sides now that has a couple of really decent individuals, but overall their team dynamic is what pulls them through. And I, I think that's commendable that they're that they're fighting to the end of this group stage. Well, and I think what people want to, you know, maybe what I looked over certainly when I was looking at this team is they do have some names in here. Like they've got uh, Milan Skriniar in, in defense, who obviously plays for Inter. He's a big player. He's a fantastic they've got player. Dubravka, you know, he plays in the Premier League. He's a big player in go. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got Newcastle yeah. as well. They've got uh, Hubachan, Ammonia legend, shout out Stell, um, playing on the left there. And and I've been, you know, decently impressed by Robert Mack up top, uh, or not up top, but on the wing. Uh, I think he's been an interesting surprise. Um, so that's, uh, that's a good one as well. Um, so we'll have to see where that group goes. I do want to interrupt briefly um, because it is time. Uh, we do have a big announcement as we teased. Um, so, folks, if you've got your guesses, get them going now because uh, you've only got a couple minutes before I say it. But this one, folks, I have to say this has been in the works for months. Months, I tell you. like We've been trying to arrange this interview for a very long time. And because of that, we are super, super excited to bring it to you. Um, we've been we've been talking with this person uh, for a long time, getting it organized, getting the contact. Um, and finally, we have set a date. The interview will be happening. Um, well, it'll be available to you on Thursday, which I believe is the 24th. So not so long. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons it took so long is because this is, uh, this is a guest our first guest, I believe, who is affiliated with the club. Boom. Still affiliated. Still yeah, affiliated. he's working for Olympiacos right now, which is why it's a big deal and why we we had to really uh, work to get this going. We had to wait till the off season, wait till uh, wait till things got a bit less busy. But now is the time. Um, I'm very excited, and I'm actually quite amazed because I see the answer in the chat right now. Antonis Nikopolidis will be well our done. next well done, Fetanos. Congratulations, Fetanos. Our next Olympiakos Legends interview cool. will be with the great goalkeeper, Greek international Antonis Nikopolidis, who currently works uh, for Olympiakos. And so we are really excited to ask him all about his career, especially what he's doing for the club right now. So we will have that out um, on Thursday. We're really excited. Uh, the interview is going to be in Greek, but we will have means to, to make it accessible to English listeners slash readers as well. Uh, and we'll have more on that yeah. when the interview comes out. 
Yeah, we're we're testing different like uh, translation things ourselves. There's some stuff that's built into StreamYard that we're going to play with, and then there's also um, some editing that we are also going to be using. Some friends of the podcast who have fantastic audio video editing skills that we're going to put to the test. So we will have it translated in English at least for uh, for the podcast. And actually, there's a, a comment here. This is correct. Uh, his son does play soccer. He plays for Georgetown, uh, or at least that's where he, I don't think he's graduated yet, but he was playing at Georgetown. Um, so we will be talking to him about, uh, various things mainly related to the club because he does, he is the head of the academies, uh, and of course of the, uh, U, the U 23 team, uh, I believe it is as well. So he had, we're going to be talking to him about the youth, the development, and the uh, as well as the global the global academy project for Libyakos as well because he is a part of that, uh, and then that's why we're also going to be having the Libyakos DC director on here, not the president uh, Harry Kara George that we had, but the coach Philip Vonk, who has been coaching the boys, will be getting them on as well. So this is all being tied together. Uh, plus, of course, we're going to discuss various things about. Nico Pulidi and his playing career as well. A lot of good stuff in that interview. So we're really excited for it. And again, thank you guys uh, because without you, the audience, this doesn't happen. So thank you guys so much. Get your friends to subscribe to us as well, because the more people we get, then the more guests we can get, the bigger we can get and the better our production quality will be. Well said, Adi. Yeah. And, uh, as we said, like, I'm really looking forward to this interview, even though I'm not going to be there doing it because it'll be in Greek, but um, I'm really looking forward to listen to it and hear what Antoni has to say. Uh, <clears throat> just because, uh, you know, I think it's an opportunity to learn a lot about what goes on behind the scenes at Olympiakos. So if you're a big fan of this club, if you know anyone who's interested in soccer in general or interested in Greek soccer, I think this would be a really nice listen because you'll no doubt have an opportunity to learn a lot about what Nikopolidis is doing, what the club are doing to develop youngsters, um, and just generally about the state of this stuff in Greece. It's it's something we talk about a lot, but it's going to be really nice to have, you know, the man who's really like in charge of this stuff for the biggest club in Greece, Olympiakos. It's going to be amazing to have him uh, on the pod talking with us. So um, yeah, we want to just thank him so much for for taking the time to do this, and uh, we'll have this interview out in, in a matter of a few days. Um, Mihaly looks very excited as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's that's about all we had. Um, I know we didn't really talk about Group F, but I mean, honestly, um, while, while Hungary does deserve some respect, I think they're going to finish fourth. And I think the other three teams are going to probably, um, I would say probably end up all qualifying some way or another. Um, but anyway, Stephen, thanks so much for hopping on at, at a moment's notice um, as Adi was in and out with, uh, with Mihaly here. Um, Mihavi, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we appreciate your insight. Yes, good. Appreciate it. That 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 was your welcome. I'm gonna assume. Um, but yeah, I, I, we're we're gonna wrap up. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Especially if you've made it this far. Uh, we'll see you on Thursday for the interview with Nicopolidis, which will be on all our platforms: YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen. Uh, make sure to subscribe if you're not already to to be able to be alerted to that. Um, and yeah, we've got more fun stuff in the plans. Uh, we've got the, uh, the forums next weekend and, uh, we have some other fun stuff as Adi mentioned for the summer. Um, Olympiakos, 
Thank you, Stelios, for the comment. Um, we will see you all very soon. Enjoy the rest of the Euros. Uh, we'll be back to chat about some of the more games. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. You just listened to an episode of the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Brussels to Tokyo, from Toronto to Geneva. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never miss out on the latest updates and stories of the team you love. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow us on social media at Gate7INTL, Give us a subscribe on YouTube or even leave a review on all our podcast channels. Until next time, this is our team, our city and our story. Trilos, he said. Sto mialo kati magiko.